right, and welcome back to the Learning at Home podcast. I am your host, Gil Cadiz, and joining me today is Dr. Diane Vetter. Uh, our topic today is bringing literacy and numeracy to life. And let me tell you a little bit about Diane. Uh, Dr. Diane Vetter is, of course, director for the Faculty of Education, and she holds a PhD in education from York with research interests in oral language and learning. Diane has also published on the topics of oral language, inclusive learning, and cross-curricular infusion. Thank you so much today for joining us, Diane. You're welcome. What we're going to be talking about in this episode in particular is uh, discussing some strategies and ideas that parents can use to help bring uh, numeracy and literacy to life for children, so engaging them even more so in the learning process. But before we jump into the main section of this episode, could you give us a little bit of background on why you're so passionate about this topic of bringing literacy and numeracy to life? Well, for me, learning to read was a very important thing, and reading has always been a hobby. It's been a passion. It's been a pastime. It's been an escape throughout my whole life. And I wanted both as a teacher, um, as a university instructor, and as a mother to ensure that, that the students and my own children managed to develop that same type of passion. And so in order to do so, I started thinking about the ways that I could encourage that on multiple levels without turning my home into a classroom. And I found with my own kids that children want their parents to be parents and their teachers to be teachers. My own children who are now grown when they were young, they would often come to me and say, no, mom, that's not the way my teacher does it, and you're not my teacher. And they didn't want those lines to be blurred, even though they knew that I was a teacher. And also I found that oftentimes teachers and parents have differing ideas of how to teach reading and literacy, how to support it. Um, An example of that might be that in the school, the teacher might do what we call a picture walk and walk through a book first with the student looking only at the illustrations before they even begin to read, while a parent might see more importance in actually making meaning from the text and will cover up the pictures when a, a child is learning to read. And so I felt that it was important to have things where parents didn't need to be teachers. They didn't need to share the same philosophies and strategies Mm. other than to know that it's really important for all of us to have a love of literacy. And speaking of having a love of literacy, I think you have a love of these four topics. I just wanted to mention that today we're going to be talking about four major areas or strategies that can pretty much help with this, bringing literacy and numeracy to life. Uh, The four topics are as follows. Uh, So we've broken it down in this fashion. We have environmental print and community activities. That's one. We have rich talk. Another uh, strategy called on the road again, which is really interesting, but we'll get there. And the last one is digital and media literacy. So let's start with environmental print and community activities. Can you explain what these are and what uh, parents can use from this to engage their kids in learning? Well, the community is absolutely the richest resource that we have. Everywhere we go in the community, there's an invitation to engage with literacy. There's signage in every store. There's billboards. There's uh, so many things that 
already children can read or recognize even though we perhaps might not identify that specifically as reading. Every time a child goes by a, a Tim Hortons sign and says, look, there's Tim Hortons, can we stop? Uh, they're actually making meaning from text by looking at that sign and understanding mm. what the meaning is. And so it's a resource that's right there for us. We don't have to purchase anything. Um, we don't even have to go out in the car. We can walk around streets and, and see what's available in our local communities. Um, I find for the youngest students, walking around a community is a wonderful thing to do. Uh, they can read house numbers, they can read street signs, they can read uh, signs in parks about what's permitted and what's not permitted. They can look in local grocery stores. For older students, um, you know, perhaps adolescents, um, they can participate even in a grocery store, you know, looking at nutritional labels on products looking at uh, shelf cards in the stores and talking about products and, and different things that they're reading as they're going around a store. And children, once they learn that they are reading when they're engaging with print or with text or with media, all of a sudden they develop a confidence in themselves. I think, hey, I can read that. And somebody else at the time might think, well, oh, I don't really know if that's reading because it's not in a book and we're not sitting together in a chair or we're not doing homework in a formal manner. But it certainly is uh, literacy activity. And that transfer of print recognition in the community goes into more traditional modes of what we might think of as reading and really gives a student confidence to move ahead. That's interesting. I think uh, when I was a kid, at least here in Toronto, Canada, for our international listeners, I we used to shop at Food Basics together with my parents. And I remember seeing anytime a cereal box had a red sticker on it, I was like, Mom, that's on sale. <laughs> so I think it really is an engaging in your community just everywhere you go. I think that's really cool. Absolutely. And I think, too, it allows parents the opportunity to model for their children that they don't always know every word they come across. And I recall going out with my adult children for a meal and somebody talking about Shiraz sauce, and I went, what is that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> and then when I saw how it was spelled, I really had a difficult time actually even figuring out or decoding the way the letters came together and how it was properly pronounced. And so it's really important for children and, and adolescents to realize that when they're reading or engaging with literacy, it's okay not to know something. And it's okay to make a mistake and it's okay to ask for help. And as parents, if we can model that for our, our kids or our teens when we're out with them in the community, let the kids or the teens become the experts about things that we're less informed about, um, again, it's a very empowering literacy experience. I love that idea of the modeling, especially. I think being a model is mm -hmm. absolutely important. So just uh, let's move on to the next point, which is um, an interesting area called rich talk. What exactly is that? Can you give us some background about what that entails? Rich talk is a term that I came up with when I was doing my research a number of years ago. Because I found that often talk was less than purposeful or meaningful or even authentic when we're trying to improve children's literacy skills. And an example of that might be what um, I don't think happens as much in schools anymore, but used to much more so what we would call show and tell. And in show and tell, a student brings something in and shows it to the class and gives a little bit of limited information. This is my favorite toy. 
and somebody says, um, you know, oh, do you like it? And the student says, yes. Does anybody have any other questions? And everybody is kind of quiet, and that's the end of it. And I use that as an example because if you think of an authentic communication situation where you might walk into a social event and uh, you don't stand up in front of the whole group and say, this is my new sweater. Um, I bought it on sale at the Bay. It came in three colors, but I picked blue because it's my favorite. Does anybody have any questions? And if you did that, people would look at you as if you were absolutely, you know, mad. And so it's important, I think, for students of any age to engage in really authentic conversations. And so that's what I consider rich talk, when it's authentic, when it's meaningful, and when it's purposeful. And part of that means that when we're talking to our kids, we don't want to ask them questions that we already know the answer to. We want to ask them questions that will elicit a little bit deeper thinking. Mm -hmm. So instead of asking them, what are you reading, when you can see quite well the title of the book or the name of the magazine or the graphic novel that they might be engaging with, um, you can you know, say, tell me a little bit about that book and what is it about that story that engages you and can you tell me a little bit about the main character do you think that character is like you or not like you and in what ways and you know things that if you were talking to somebody if you belong to an adult book club and you're discussing a book with somebody else you know, what would you ask them about the book either you would be asking them about their opinions about you know whose voice is being heard in this in the uh, story that you're reading or in the novel I mean whose voice is excluded from that novel and you know just what is the the major social implication of the novel and you can do that with children even at the youngest levels and they love that they love to feel important in conversation and they love to feel that their opinions are valued I think the important piece is true uh, that the ch children in general love to feel important. <laughs> I think it, it sounds to me like it's more about quality content in a conversation, of course, more so than wealth. <laughs> yes. As the word rich, but. Absolutely. And what you want to do too is, is think of some conversation starters that, that, um, that you might use. Like, I wonder, I wonder is a wonderful way to start talking about something. And what it does is that it says, I don't really have a fixed opinion here. Mm. But I'm wondering about this, and I'm thinking about this, and now I'm looking for you to add your wonderings or your thinking. Because what we want students to do at all times is to really think deeply about what it is they're engaging with in terms of literacy, whether they're reading something, whether they're watching something on television or listening to something. We want them to be questioning all the time. Uh, you know, what is this piece trying to do? Is it trying to entertain me? Is it trying to change my thinking in some way? Is it trying to convince me of something? And we want students to really think deeply about, and do I believe what the author is writing? And if I don't, that's quite all right. I just need to think about it. So. And I think that kind of dovetails beautifully with the next point. So I think pre-show, uh, you've provided us with some information about the next strategy called On the Road Again. Um, you mentioned it was a strategy to make use of those long hours that are spent in cars with children or adolescents. How exactly can parents turn long car rides into a learning opportunity? Because when I think about that, just the, at least at face value, I talk to a lot of parents and they tell me, man, when I'm in a car with my kids, I just want to get home. <laughs> because they're fighting or they're arguing, they're doing something else. But, you know, I always found that even in the classroom as a teacher, when students are really engaged, whether they be young children or whether they be adolescents, when they're engaged in something that's happening, then there's no um, 
issues with behavior, that things really tend to calm down because they're so engaged in what's going on. They haven't got time to be bored or to be thinking of other things. There are ways that they can annoy a sibling or a classmate (laughs) beside them. Um, And so I also found that as a parent, you know, you're working all day, you're commuting perhaps, um, you have long days, and to come home and deal with homework it's not something that you really want to do. Um, and it's not something that your kids want to do either. And if we thought about our own work, for example, if you're a lawyer and you're you know, reading briefs all day in the office, the last thing you want to come home at night and, to do is, this, is exactly the same thing. And so um, we want to maximize time where we're basically occupied. And a lot of time is that is what I call on the road time. It's in a car, it's in a restaurant, it's waiting in a lineup for fast food or something of that nature. Um, and so basically that's an opportunity to have conversations with your kids. Um, I know a lot of them have their earbuds in and they're listening to music, but any habit can be modified. And so if we get kids into the habit of getting into the car and perhaps turning on a different radio station in the car than they normally listen to, um, perhaps uh, listening to a podcast in the car. Um, There's so many cars now are equipped to be able to have um, iPhone or or other media connections um, to listen to a news channel and talk about what's going on in the world. Um, even when kids have questions, you know, the smallest one's like, oh, where, you know, when are we going to get there? How long is it going to take? Uh, that's a perfect math opportunity. You know, well, we're going to, you know, whoever's house and it's 300 kilometers away and we're driving 100 kilometers every hour. How long do you think it's going to take to get there? And so, you know, then all of a sudden, well, if I can go 100 kilometers in one hour and then extrapolate that out, well, it's probably going to take three hours. And what time is it now? And so what time are we going to get there? So obviously that's for younger children, but there are lots of opportunities um, for kids to make those kind of um, sort of calculations and practice some of their mathematics skills in the car as well. Um, other things that you can do is to, um, if you're out into a restaurant, instead of asking a, a child or an adolescent what would you like to eat? Say, well, you know what, your budget for this is $15 or $5 or $2. What are you going to have? And then all of a sudden you're asking them to think a little more critically about what's on the menu, whether you're, you know, just stopping in for a soft drink or whether you're out for a full dinner. Um, other things that you can do is use uh, billboards or truck panels uh, as conversation starters. You, you know, that reminds me of, and then start into something and you know, before you know it, it becomes a habit that when you get in the car, uh, the kids like to engage in those conversations. And sometimes they can be silly. You know, what do you think that truck is carrying if it's an unmarked truck? And then there's all sorts of silly speculation about what could possibly be in there and where is it going and what direction is it heading? And if it's heading east, what are what are they most likely carrying? Things that they wouldn't have down east that, that you know, we might have here and that type of, of thing. And so there's a, a whole greater conversation that can happen in the car. And so basically, um, the most important thing to really do is just to avoid in those conversations the parent taking the teacher stance. Hmm. Um, oftentimes in a classroom, teachers ask questions questions that they already know the answer to. Um, children give responses that they think the teacher wants to hear. When you're in the car, you want this to be a, a reminiscent of a social occasion so that you ask questions that you really want to know the answer to. You want to know what your kids are thinking and you want to share what you're thinking as well, not as a lesson to them, but simply to share your insights and to clarify some of the things that you think about as well. 
and the conversation will evolve. I feel like uh, it kind of it relates to one of our values here at Tudor Doctor, which is curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think if a parent really applies the principle of curiosity, I think it really helps with that because it sounds to me that a lot of it has to do with open-ended questions that get the child to think. I think, correct me if I'm wrong there, it's yes. basically... That's correct. And, and as I said a little earlier, you know, two words, I wonder. Mm. And, you know, start a conversation with I wonder and then allow your, your child, your adolescent to wonder along with you. Excellent. And lastly, there's digital and media literacy. So you mentioned to us that we all get inundated by media every day. Uh, what makes this point and this area important to young students learning? Well, I think it's probably within the last year or so become even more evident to all of us, you know, when we, we talk about fake news and we talk about things that are happening and and the way that uh, media, whether it be social media or traditional media, you know, the way they manipulate the way that people think. And it's really important for children and adolescents to understand right away that simply because something is written down or it's on the internet or it's broadcast on a television or radio station, it doesn't mean that we need to believe it 100%. It means that we need to think about it and then make a choice as to what we believe or what we don't believe. And having those rich conversations with students about the things that they're hearing on the radio and modeling for them, you know, really, I guess, thinking aloud might be a good way to describe it. Um, Children will learn how to analyze media when they understand how you do it. And so if you're thinking aloud and modeling for them, well, this is what I heard, and these are the few words in that sentence or in that broadcast that I'm questioning, and here's why I'm questioning it. Then, you know, there's that aha moment. And so gradually then children or adolescents will learn how to undertake that process themselves and how to really analyze text um, of any or, or media or anything of that nature. And the important thing, too, that we need to you know, talk with our kids about these days is the fact that once something is out in the world in in terms of media, it's really almost impossible to get it back. And I always use the analogy uh, with my students, even at the university, that it's rather like um, squeezing toothpaste out of a tube. I mean, once it's out, try to get it back in again it's it's virtually impossible and I didn't come up with that I heard it from somebody else I don't know where it came from but I love the analogy and I think it's really important that um, young people understand that once they represent themselves in media in whatever way that it's out there and it's not something that later you know it's easily taken back or easy to apologize for or and even if you do apologize for it 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 doesn't make it go away so I think that's a really important thing for us to talk about with our kids interesting and I think it sounds to me as especially the first point that you made on uh, interpreting digital media and for example it sounds like an exercise in critical thinking like you're getting the child to really think about something that's said just because it's said doesn't mean it's true. So you, we can almost ask them, you know, what do you think about this news or something of that nature? 
Absolutely. And I think times have changed so dramatically, even in the years that I've been teaching. I mean, it wasn't that many years ago. We had a set of Encyclopedia Britannica in every school or sometimes in classrooms. And students could go to those encyclopedias and that information had been carefully vetted. And, mm. you know, they were able to take that as fact. And that doesn't happen anymore. And in fact, even texts that have been written, you know, a few years ago can quickly become outdated. You know, the politics of the world change, um, situations in different country changes, borders fluctuate, and all of a sudden information that is even written in a text is no longer accurate. And so it's really important for students to understand that and to understand that the t changing nature of our world means that they do need to be those critical thinkers that dig down you know beneath the words or beyond the words to really you know wonder about what was written and why it was written and who it was written for and why it might be trying to change me in some way amen to that so i think some closing thoughts here do you have any clothing uh closing thoughts you'd like to share with our audience before we close out for the, uh today's podcast just really briefly, um, be a model of engagement with literacy for your kids. Um, ask yourself, how often do your children see you reading something? Do they see you curled up with a book or a magazine? Um, value all types of literacy, whether a student or you are reading um, you know, a book or a magazine or a how-to manual or a recipe. Whatever it is that you're doing, let your, your kids see that model of engagement that you value literacy and it's valuable enough for you to invest your personal time in it, your leisure time. Um, children will reproduce what they see in the home. We know that all too well. Um, they, they see us do things and they learn to act and react and to speak in the same ways. So just ask yourself, what do they see you doing when it comes to engaging with literacy? Man, so I think I learned a lot. I'm sure our audience has learned a lot today. Diane, Dr. Diane, I should say. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It was my pleasure, Gil. were so many takeaways there usually when we have the podcast we do have a talking guide and we have the notes from our presenters slash interviewee this time we had some comprehensive notes but there were so many takeaways there but I think the biggest takeaway for me in this particular episode was the fact that learning just happens everywhere in, in so many different ways and I think a lot of our previous podcasts had uh, helped us to kind of illustrate that in full detail and I just want to give a huge thank you to Dr. Diane Vetter for taking her time to come over to our office and record this podcast with us. I want to thank you the audience so much for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to listen to any of our other episodes you can always visit Learning at Home Podcast at Buzzsprout, iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you listen. Thank you so much for your time, and until next time, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care, everybody.